0: you're listening to the inside intercom podcast hi everybody i'm emmett
1: connolly and today i'm very happy to be here with mike davidson mike is the vp of design at twitter mike thank you very much for joining us here thanks emmett it's great to be here uh i feel like it would be a missed opportunity to not start with this so i'm going to go for it In, in 140 characters or less mike what's happening
0: What's happening? Well, uh, I am enjoying myself in Ireland, visited the wife's family, now visiting you guys, and on to Web Summit later this week. Nice. I think that was 140. Somewhere, <laughs> somewhere around there.
1: Uh, Mike, for our listeners who, who might not know you or be familiar with your work, would you mind
0: introducing yourself? Yeah, so uh, I run the design and research team at Twitter, uh, which is about 100 people or so. And I've been there about three years now, actually three years, two days ago. Um, Before that, I was uh, CEO and co-founder of Newsvine, which became part of MSNBC. So I'd been at NBC News for about five years before I took the job at Twitter and was at ESPN.com for several years before that. Great. So that obviously gives us a a, a ton to talk about.
1: I guess I would I would start with Twitter and at least from an outsider's perspective the, the changes that it seems to be undergoing at the moment. You know increasingly Twitter isn't just Twitter, you now have Vine and you have Periscope um, and maybe what you might think of is even mini products within Twitter itself, I'm, I'm primarily thinking of moments there. How do you guys, as a design team, how do you decide what to keep separate versus what to integrate into the core
0: Twitter service? Yeah, it's a really good question. I think there are a lot of reasons to design specific experiences outside of the Twitter app. You mentioned a couple, Vine and Periscope. Those are um, experiences that were designed from the ground up to serve very specific purposes. Um, Periscope was designed essentially to allow you to view the world through someone else's eyes. Um, which is a really interesting concept. It's slightly different than than Twitter. It's all video based, obviously. And for an experience like that, um, you may see elements of it come into the the main Twitter experience at some point. But you can see a lot of of the really great touches that they were that the Periscope team was able to put uh, into the experience by virtue of it being its own uh, app. Uh, it's not just a tab within Twitter. It is it is a it is a purpose driven app to essentially allow you, allow you to teleport yourself around the world uh, by, by virtue of other people's um, cell phones. So it's really, really interesting. We feel like that's a product that the world has never really seen before, and now is the perfect time for a product like that to exist. In fact, it wasn't really even possible for a product like Periscope to exist several years ago for many different reasons. Um, one of them, network speeds. Obviously, you, know, you couldn't run something like that on dial-up or even slow broadband connections. So the advent of 4G was really important to, to make something like Periscope and even Vine uh, work. Uh, and additionally, if you if you notice uh, when you use Periscope, there's very little latency uh, between the person broadcasting the stream and you, you know, asking them questions, giving them hearts, and interacting with them. And the reason for that is that uh, Periscope makes use of iOS's hardware. Um, hardware video encryption uh, uh, and encoding, which actually wasn't available until I believe the iPhone 5s, or actually it might have been an iOS 8 thing. Uh, so it's one of those great things where like it's the it was it's the perfect product at the right time, and we love it, and and and, and we love it as its own experience, and we love seeing Periscopes also broadcast uh, within Twitter in the form of Twitter cards. So you know it's very easy to say. It's very easy to say, well, why don't we take DMs and split them out to be their own experience? And why don't we take um, you know, feature A, B, and C and split them out to be their own experience? But the reality is it's very, very hard to, to, to gather critical mass for an application, um, no matter who you are, whether you're Twitter, Facebook, an individual developer. Um, and if you're going to do that, you better make sure that you've got something that is is, is 100 times better than anything out there. Um, or at the very least, you've got the power to drive a lot of people to it um, from your flagship app. You see... Facebook doing this with their kind of constellation of app strategy. Mm-hmm. You know, they've done it with Messenger and they've been very successful because Messenger is a, is a, is a core feature of, of Facebook and they push you to it when you, you, know, when you tap that messages button in Facebook, you're, you're moving on to the app. Um, but the other apps that, that they have uh, uh, developed, such as Paper, which is a beautiful app, very very well designed, um, you don't see nearly the, the amount of usage as you do because it's not really a core function of Of that experience, so you know we we are very focused on improving the core Twitter experience, not just for people like me and you who have been using the product for you know nine years, Mm -hmm. um, but especially for people who really haven't got the product yet. Uh, We feel like. Twitter, more than almost any product in the world, is something that like once you get it, you love it, and you don't want anything to change about it, and you don't understand why other people don't you know don't get it. Um, but before you reach that point of that that aha moment, it's really hard to kind of get over that mountain. And I think you know. Yeah, our biggest opportunity as a company is taking the you know the two three billion people in the world who haven't gotten over that mountain yet, and and really kind of being their sherpa and teaching them you know what Twitter what Twitter is is, is great for and how it fits into their lives. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's really interesting. Uh,
1: you know when you talked about almost the time being right and and a, a, a lot of factories hardware wise and everything coming together to enable something like Periscope. In some ways, it reminded me of original Twitter, right? Which wasn't innately tied to the emergence of smartphones, but it seemed like the timing was perfect, and it was just the right medium and interaction. Uh, so, so it's, it's it's interesting to consider it in that way. There, there is uh, an element of what you were talking about there that I guess relates to Twitter as a platform. So, there's Twitter, what you called the core product, I think you yep. said, and then the platform, which were maybe these other things on top of that and how do you guys think about that from a a design point of view do you consciously try and design the platform or is is that just something that kind of evolves organically
0: yeah it's it's a great question we we look at all of twitter as a platform really um we we feel like it is the world's best platform for freedom of speech and expression and we look at the tweet as really the essential unit of expression and we quite Purposefully, do not have an editorial voice, even with something like Moments, where it is curated uh, by, by our staff, we really try not to take a point of view on editorially what's Im- most important in the world. Whether you're uh, leaning left or leaning right or into sports or into politics or into technology, we don't want to tell you Um, As an editorial team or as a company, what you should be interested in, we want to provide a platform such that you can find that that all the great stuff yourself and you can rely on your friends and the people that are very influential to you, Uh, perhaps great writers who you've always wanted to get closer to or um, or athletes or any number of of, uh, industry luminaries who you may who you may uh, uh, be interested in. We want to allow the world to speak to you in a way that makes sense uh, uh, for you. And so, uh, as a designer, it's an interesting problem because we want to be opinionated about how to design the product. We don't want to just say, hey, here's a box of Legos. Go make whatever you want out of it. And to some extent, that's kind of you know what we've done for, for part of our history as we've said, hey, you know, uh, Go follow a bunch of people and then figure it out and good luck. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the the percentage of the population who's great with Legos has done a great job with that, right? the the, so the several hundred million people who who use Twitter every month um, are great at taking a box of Legos and making something amazing out of it. Uh, but you yeah, know, there's a great percentage of of the world's population who needs some instructions Mm -hmm. and uh, who needs a a bit of a starter set and who needs who who needs a a little bit more assistance and a little bit more uh, kind of kind of um, uh, help in in creating an experience that works for them. So it is something that we wrestle with a lot, like having an opinion about the product and where the product should go, but not having an opinion about the content Mm -hmm. itself. Um, So that's something that you'll see. Uh, that, that's something that you'll see us evolve further with moments. Um, for example, uh, right now we are the only, you know, curators of it. We are the we are the ones kind of deciding what goes in the in the in the moments tab. But we we, we currently have. Uh, A beta group of publishers who are curating their own moments and we are featuring those within within the moments tab So you'll see that program if all goes well uh, Expands to the point where anybody can curate uh, a moment much as you you know much as you curate embedded tweets and and embed them in your Mm -hmm. Your own web properties Mm -hmm.
1: interesting very interesting in in, in some sense then those lego builders uh, become the Sherpas that guide everyone else over the mountain? Is, is, that, the, is that the idea there?
0: That's definitely, that's definitely part of it. Uh, I think, you know, one of the really, really difficult things about loving Twitter is it's very hard to explain succinctly to your friends, to your family, to anybody you meet on the street, what it is and how to use it. Everybody has their own definitions. And they're beautiful definitions, right? Like, I've heard a thousand of, of them. Um, and every time you hear a new one, you're like, oh... Wow, I've never really thought about Twitter that way before, but that's great. Um, so we feel like we've now in moments provided a very, very simple at least set of instructions to start using the product. Download the app, tap the lightning bolt. Right. That's really all it is. Download mm-hmm. the app, tap the lightning bolt, and in within that experience, um, we will show you kind of what's what's trending, what's important, what's entertaining in the world at any given time. Um, so, you know, it's it's entirely possible, and in fact, it's probable that the default Moments experience may be a better Twitter experience for a lot of people than their home timeline Mm -hmm. and for somebody like you know for somebody like me or somebody like you that's hard to imagine because we have such a great experience within our home timeline because we've spent so much time curating it and making it this amazing news feed that like tells us everything we need to know Um, but you know the percentage of people in the world who have curated their timelines as well as you have as well as I have as well as A lot of the people listening to this podcast have um, is not 100%. And it may may be quite a bit less than that. And so, uh, you know, we we don't have an opinion as to whether you should be using Moments as your flagship Twitter experience or you should be using Home as your flagship Twitter experience. We think that each provides a different set of things for people as they kind of travel along that path towards mastery. Mm.
1: It's something I found in in a lot of the design projects that. I have engaged in is that giving someone that really early initial insight into why this is special and why they may want to invest further time is key. But then over time, you have to allow more, not complexity, but more value to unfold and and those people to really get engaged with it. it. It's rare, though, that, or I imagine at least very difficult, to take uh, is Twitter like almost ten years old now. Yeah. To, to take a very yeah. mature product in some mm-hmm. sense and impose an even greater degree of like first run simplicity on it. Right. Yeah. It, it, c- I wonder if you could talk a bit about the design process behind Moments. It seems clear what you guys wanted to achieve with it, but how did you actually go about designing that?
0: Yeah. Um, Log well, into I want to get into the first part of your question first though, which is um, you know how do you create uh, you know how do you create a, a product that that is simple on on first run and and become and kind of reveals itself as as your skills with it grow uh, one of our design principles at Twitter is is that Twitter should grow with you and we feel like the Twitter experience from several years ago was neither simple enough for new users nor um, powerful enough for power users you know it's, it's it's hard to remember but two years ago we didn't even have images on Twitter you know so it actually has evolved quite a bit over the last several years but Uh, You know, with each thing we add to the product, it's another bit of cognitive overhead for new users to to figure out, okay, well, all right, there's images that are part of this. How do I... How do I upload an image? And oh, there's these social actions. OK, what does the arrow mean? What does the double arrow mean? Um, what, are all, what, do, what do all these things mean? Uh, and so really kind of creating a product that grows with you, that reveals itself gracefully as you as you start to use it more is, is, is one of our top priorities um, in, the, in the next year or two. Um, with regard to moments, we have several features around Twitter. Um, well, Actually, we have many features around Twitter that are you know, under active development. Moments is one of them and i wouldn't say that we that we follow the same playbook with each of our with each of which each of the with each of the parts of our product some products are run by very small teams you know 1 pm 1 designer 5 engineers some parts are are you know 1 pm 2 pms 4 designers 30 engineers Uh, so there is no, there is no, like one way to bake a cake at Twitter, but I think the way we baked moments was, was pretty interesting. So, um, the history of moments is as follows. A few years ago, we, we set out to create kind of a channel guide in a way for Twitter. We were calling it explore. It was basically a way for people to say, especially new users to say, you know what? I don't know anything about this product, but I'm into sports tap on sports. Okay. Uh, here are a bunch of sports subjects that I'm that, that I might be interested in. okay tap on seahawks uh, and then provide me a, an experience maybe a timeline that that is that is seahawks based um, so we went down that road several times and uh, while it was interesting we kind of found that it resembled the kind of Yahoo directory model a little bit too much or require a little bit too much hunting and pecking mm-hmm. um, people started talking about doing deep dives into a subject like you know like seahawks or, or like uh, like iOS or you know like beer, and like just the concept of doing deep dives in a, in a mobile app it didn't never never kind of sounded right to us. Like we kind of wanted to do people to do shallow dives where it's everything is one click away or two clicks away, um, and so th- that that project explore sort of simmered for a, for a little while, and then this past January, so what is that 10, 11 months ago, um, a couple designers on our team. Um, had an idea for uh, to, to, to had an idea uh, during hack week to create this experience designed to help you follow uh, football games because the Super Bowl is coming up and uh This idea of allowing you to easily follow something like the Super Bowl without without having to manually go in and follow each commentator and each athlete and each team and then have to, like, get rid of all of those follows after the game was a really, really interesting one. So they so they they created this product uh, that we were calling Game Time at the time. And the idea was it was a panel that allowed you to say, like, I like the Patriots or I like the Seahawks. And for the time of the, you know, while the game was going on, we would insert tweets into your timeline from, you know, Patriots beat writers, Seahawks beat writers, um, ex athletes, people that had interesting things to say about the game. And then when the game was over, all that stuff was gone. The 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 metaphor that uh, one of our designers uh, used during it was really great. She said it, it's like drinking a potion. So imagine drinking a potion for three hours, and your Twitter experience gets a little crazy, uh, a little crazy, a little psychedelic, a little cool. Uh, and then the, the, the potion just wears off. And, and so I really, really liked kind of that way of, that way of, of, of thinking about the, the problem of kind of temporary follows or the opportunity of temporary follows. And so they got together with a PM, uh, coded this, this, like, really hack together kind of cron job based service on, um, on the PM's laptop, uh, and they won Hack Week. And it was really, really great. And we were actually able to test it during the Super Bowl. And everybody who, who watched the game, uh, you know, thought it was really great and was something that we should pursue. Um, I happened to be at the game, uh, and I was using it during the game. And it was really like it. It, it really, for the first time, kind of made a real life event. More meaningful and more special to me, uh, despite the the awfulness of that Super Bowl and how it ended. You you hinted there um, at you know design how
1: how your how you different team sizes and how your design team in particular, I guess, is organized across uh, different locations. Can you just describe a little more in detail how design at Twitter actually works? I mean, how your teams are structured, what your your own
0: role is. Yeah, yeah. So uh, one of the things that I've kind of fought really hard for for the last few years is really making sure that engineering, product design, and research are all uh, at the table from day one uh, and, all, and who all have, let's say, more or less equal decision-making power. Um, I don't think that designers should be the sole arbiters of good taste. I don't think that uh, PMs should be mini CEOs who get to decide whatever they want uh, to do with the products uh, without talking to designers and, and engineers. And I don't think that, you know, engineers should, should go home over the weekend and rewrite an entire product or service and say, hey, uh, this, is, this, is, this is how it works now either. Um, I think, and, you know, and, and, and research is the, other, is the other piece of that as well. Uh, you know, research often gets overlooked in these sorts of conversations. But, you know, at a company like Twitter when, where, you know, our success does not depend on how well people in San Francisco enjoy our product uh you know it depends on how uh how much people around the world enjoy our product research is really the only way to to get a good view into how people around the world who are nothing like you uh use the product and so by having kind of those four seats at the table we you know it really encourages us to make decisions holistically that that don't just satisfy our own our own um our own self-interests so uh I run the designer research team, so that's two, two, piece, two pieces of that. Um, the the eng team is 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 obviously the largest of of of, the, of those groups, and then uh, PM is about the size, of, about the same size as design. So, um, we I have uh, I have a couple, I have a few people underneath me. One of them is in charge of kind of the consumer app, the Bluebird app. Uh, one of them is in charge of all of our, our revenue and, and, and business products, uh, and then uh, one of them is in charge of Fabric, which is another one hmm. of our another one of our our, our products, and platform. Uh, and each of them have kind of design managers underneath them. Uh, we have a we have a, a rule at Twitter, which I think is a really good one, which is no person can have more than 10 direct reports. And the downside of that is it can create a little bit more hierarchy because you have to have kind of managers on top of managers on top of managers. But the upside of it is each manager has the time to do weekly one-on-ones with their employees um, to do the sort of uh, team building and career building that we want all of our leaders to do. Um, we evaluate designers and researchers across four different kind of uh, uh, strata one of them is getting things done so do you do, you do what you say you're going to do do you, are you able to fight through conflict politics um, bad timing and all of the sort of obstacles that, co- that come up during the product development process are you able to fight through all that to get a great product out the door um, two is building strong relationships. So if you're a designer on our team or a researcher on our team, do, do the PMs and engineers fight to work with you again? Do they, do, they, do they come up to me and say, don't you dare take this person away? I love them so much. Um, so it's building strong relationships. Uh, third is improving the team. So what sort of things do you do to improve the larger design and research team, whether that's helping recruit, bringing great people into the company, uh, whether it's teaching skills like prototyping to the rest of the team, uh, what sort of things do you do away from your individual job that improve the rest of the team? And the fourth is uh, technical skills, empathy, and vision, which is the, the, the kind of typical sort of individual skills that most designers think that they need to, 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 to excel at in order to get promoted. And so uh, we believe that by rewarding the right sorts of behaviors in our, in, our, uh, in, our, in our teammates, we're really creating not just great designers and researchers, we're creating great teammates And that's really kind of like what we what we put at the top of our list. I think, you know, when you get into kind of incentive systems where you reward people based on how many things they ship or how many lines of code they write or how they moved a certain metric, you put people in a position where they may do the wrong sorts of things to achieve those sorts of um, results and you also put them in a. In, you also potentially put them in a situation where one person on your team has a greater chance of succeeding than another person. So, for instance, uh, what if, you know, moments turned out great, right? It's a great, great product. People seem to like it. It's really fun to work on. Teams <laughs> Teams, great. Like, what if you got put on that team? Like, if you were rewarded based on results, hey, you know, you would you would you would turn out pretty well. What if you had the misfortune to get put on another team that like wasn't so stable, and like the product hasn't shipped yet, or maybe it takes a, it's going to take a lot longer to, you know, to get out the door, and some things go wrong that were outside your control? You know, I don't want to be, I don't want to put my designers or researchers in a situation where where I have not given them equal chance to succeed. And so I think by really rewarding the right sorts of behaviors, the behaviors that create a healthy design team and a healthy research team, and just a healthy product development culture. Um, we create the right sorts of incentives for for people to do the right things. Mm.
1: Yeah, I think I think that's a really wise approach. Uh, I, you know, it, it's perhaps surprising that that some other companies tend to put very. Um, direct, you know, we will reward you for launching or something like that, uh, structures in place. But but the second order things that come out of that are totally unsurprising. Yeah. Uh, teams squabbling between each other or sabotaging each other or, or whatever. It's one of the interesting things that, that I've come to realize recently is that, um, you know, there's designing a product and then there is maybe one level outside of that designing uh, a team yeah. that can create many good products and maybe in some sense this is akin to you know designing a platform again back to what we were talking about earlier twitter you're you're almost designing the uh, environment, the scaffolding within which the real experience can happen. And it can't be too rigid, but it can't be too loose either. Uh, and and I, th- I think team building is, is also a really interesting design problem. In it itself.
0: is. It is. I, and that's the exact right way to put it. It, it is a design problem for sure. Uh, and it's something every startup goes through, right? I mean, this is why startups are able to, it's one of the reasons why startups are able to move so fast early on is they have handpicked the three or four people that are going to sit in a room together and, and develop this product or this service. Um, and, and Oftentimes, it's people who have known each other for several years, um, but you each know exactly what the other brings to the table. There's no, no, you know at the beginning days of a startup, when you're four or five people in a room, nobody's looking around at anybody else going, what do you do? Why are you here? Mm-hmm. Um, and so we, we really want to kind of maintain that sort of care and consideration for our, for, you know, for our design culture uh, as no matter how big we get, really. Right, right. Diversity is another really important thing to us. Um, we are fifty percent male, fifty percent female. Um, we put a lot of effort into into not just making sure we're as diverse as possible as a team, but really like spreading the message of diversity throughout our industry. Um, we hear a lot of a, a lot of other companies, um, not just in the Bay Area, but um, uh, you know throughout the world, kind of complaining about things like pipeline and and number of number of graduates that that uh, you know that, that come out of. Stanford or CS schools or whatever being, being predominantly male, like, okay, fine, they are, but that's a design problem, right? Like Mm -hmm. that you have, you have unequal inputs, um, for the output that you need, uh, solve that. Mm Uh, and so I think like not enough companies put that high enough on their list. I think Twitter, uh, at least, uh, from what I've seen puts it pretty high um and you know we see the results in just our daily work we fe- we feel like having a, di- a diverse team is kind of like having more built-in research i'll give you a-, a concrete example of that we were going over some illustrations for uh that we were going to use for uh this kind of permission gating thing that we were doing on ios so you know when we ask you for a permission hey hey can we share your location hey can we have access to your microphone hey can we have access to your camera um you you you've got to get permission at the ios level to do that and so the smart way to do that these days is to do a pre-permission first where you you put up a screen a nice friendly screen you say hey do you want will you give us will you give us this permission and if they say no then you don't pass them on to the real mm-hmm. per- permission gate they say yes you pass them on to the real permission gate but um we were looking at illustrations of uh like a campsite um to to convey location and uh we were in design crit kind of looking at all these illustrations on the campsite one came up and i thought to myself oh that's a nice quaint little illustration um that seems like it will work uh and we went around the table and there was one woman on her team who um who is of indian descent and she said well actually that's not really gonna resonate with um With people from where I'm from, and that's all she had to say, and we knew we had a problem, and we knew we had uh, we knew we had to kind of go back to the drawing board and figure out a better a better way to get that kind of concept across and we could have got that insight through rounds and rounds of user testing. we could have flown somebody into india uh and and found that out right away, but it was so convenient having like somebody at the table who could say actually this makes sense to san franciscoites this doesn't make sense to people uh, on mm-hmm. the other side of the world mm-hmm. so there are you know countless countless um, examples like that where where just having diversity within our own team has helped us mo- create a more global product mm. yeah that's a
1: great example too uh, i guess empathy is often like trotted out as almost a, a, a cliche in terms of um being something that's in a designer's skill set but but there are extremely concrete cases whereby you can you can broaden the amount of empathy that your team collectively has, right? And yeah. it's very easy to do that. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Before we continue with today's guest, I just want to take a quick second to let you know about our amazing archive of podcasts. It's full of insights from thought leaders from the worlds of product management, design, marketing, and a lot more. People like Megan Keeney-Anderson. Megan was VP of marketing for HubSpot for over nine years. She joined us to talk about how marketers should adapt their customer acquisition strategies in the age of the internet. internet will rise and fall and go through different iterations, and our job as content creators, as marketers, is to really study that and stay close to it and adapt. You can hear Megan's episode and lots more on intercom.com forward slash blog forward slash podcasts. Okay, let's get back to today's interview.
1: It's interesting to hear um, some of the stuff that you were saying about how, you know, it's very different being four people in a room at the very early stages of a startup and scaling to however many thousand people. Um in your experience because you've seen some of those changes does does that also mean that going back to the idea of designing a team that you have to like uh, iterate on your design iterate on how your team is put together o- over that time and i guess i'm wondering like are there state are there stages that every design team goes through
0: do you think yeah that's a that's a good question um we have iterated our model several times in the last few years we used to we used to be a lot more centralized. It was kind of, when I got there. I think we were about 20 people or so, 20, 25 people, all sitting in one room, our, our design studio. Uh, it was great because you know, it's a lot easier to build a design culture within the design team uh, if you're all sitting in the same room together. It allowed us to always know exactly what everybody else was working on. Um, but the downside is it kind of tended to slow down development. You know, if an engineer wants, you know, needs an asset cut instead of just like tapping the designer on the shoulder and going, Hey, uh, we need, uh, you know, we need this confirmation button or we need this, this, this permission gating screen, you know, that instead an email gets fired off and maybe the designer doesn't see the email for a day and the designer gets back and says, okay, I'll get back to you. And, you know, whatever. So instead of something that, you know, that could take, could have taken like an hour, um, instead of it taking an hour, it ends up taking a week, um, that can really build up. And so, by having designers and researchers embedded on each product development team, mm. we've been able to get that, that kind of speed of development up to where we up to where we want it to, to be. However, um, that change was met with quite a bit of like, trepidation, I would say, amongst not just me, um, but everybody on the team, because we didn't want to lose what we had. We didn't want to lose this kind of family atmosphere that we had created um, amongst designers and researchers. So what we did is we kept the design studio uh, uh, where it was. In fact, we remodeled it and made it even more amazing than it was. Um, whiteboards all over the place. Um, very comfortable couches. Stand standing tables. Um, taxi desks for for temporary seating. Um, just a very flexible space that we can that we can do a bunch of different things with. Uh, so we kept that together. I still sit there. Uh, my head of research, Grace Kim, still sits there. Some of our design leads sit there. Um, but more importantly, it's a space that almost all of the design and research team comes to several times a week for different things. So every Monday morning, uh, we kick off the week with an all-team all meeting where we, we celebrate launches and birthdays and talk about um, you know, department business. It lasts about 10 minutes or so, but it's a good way to, to start the week and, and remind ourselves that we're, you know, that we're part of the same team. Um, and then we have design crits, which happen every day, uh, so sometimes several a day. And so you have designers, coming, designers and researchers coming from all pockets of the, of the company together into this one space. And so we feel like we've been able to kind of have our cake and eat it, too, a little bit in that kind of setup. Um, in terms of what types of people we hire... That has actually remained fairly constant since I've gotten there. We really believe in kind of a hybrid model of, of designers and researchers. The more, the more skills, you know, the, the more skills that you have, the greater the problem that we can just that we can throw at you for you to solve. I don't like these. Uh, kind of workflows where one person does the concepting and says, okay, I'm done with the concept and passes it off. And another person does the wireframing and says, okay, I'm done with the wireframing and pass it off. And then person does like, like some mocks and then, and then it gets passed to so like a visual designer and then like a motion person. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, some people really believe in that model and it, and it can work. It can definitely work. The people that, that believe in that model, like, like will never give it up and they, and probably for good reason. Like I guess if you figured out how to, how to kind of work that way. It it can make a lot of sense, but for a company that moves kind of as quickly as we do, and often in different directions than we thought at the beginning of the year, we really need to be able to kind of like, uh, pivot very, very quickly in projects. And so I like being able to put, you know, one designer and one researcher on a product and know that they can handle the, the breadth of that entire problem them, uh, themselves. So, like, do we have designers who are, like, 70-30 visual to interaction, 30-30-70, 80-20, 50-50? Yeah, like, not everybody's, a, not everybody's skills are, like, evenly spread throughout the spectrum. We have some people who can code, some people who can't code. But we really... With, with a few exceptions, we really try to stay away from, like, that specialist who can only really, you know, kind of make an impact in one tiny little slice of the design process. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that's true at startups, too. I mean, it's, I think it's even more true at startups because, right. you know, there are a lot of startups out there who don't even think about design until until several years in. Dropbox is a great example of that. I don't think Dropbox had a designer for the first four years of their right. existence. And they're a pretty well-designed product. Um but you know, they didn't really need uh, uh, they didn't really need a, a you know large design team when they started because if you remember it was a folder sitting on your desktop like there wasn't there wasn't a whole lot of like actual um, uh, visual design for sure to be done there were, you know, sh- certainly there was interaction design um, but generally at a startup like you need everybody to wear multiple hats and so you know if we're gonna run our department and our company at startup speed uh, we need people to wear multiple hats. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: it's interesting. I've worked in a bunch of those different ways of organizing a team. You know, centralized design team, or maybe you know, embedded in more smaller product teams, and and there are certainly pros and cons to each. But I guess the key thing is to um, make sure to do what you guys are doing. It sounds like with your studio, which is compensate for whatever the deficiencies of your default approach is. Yeah,
0: yeah. There's always going to be deficiencies. There's no perfect way to set up a design team or mm-hmm. a research team or a technology company for that matter. Um, you just need to be able to learn very quickly from the mistakes that you make. I think learn, you know, the ability to learn quickly is one of the most important skills you can have as a founder or as a, or as a leader at a company because you're going to make mistakes every day and the only way to get better is to learn from them. Mm-hmm. It, it sounds like you know, uh,
1: based on what you're saying and also maybe based on some of what we can perceive from the outside, you know, like it's an exciting time at the moment for Twitter. Um, new CEO with, with Jack Dorsey coming back, uh, new products, things like Moments and so on uh, uh, coming out. Uh, uh, how do you, you know, how do you maintain some sense of constancy amid yeah. all of that change? But, but at the same time, balance that with the uh, the type of innovation that you're talking about trying to achieve.
0: Yeah, I mean, if I've learned one thing at Twitter, it's always to expect the unexpected. Um, it is a company that has moved very, very quickly and in several different directions. Uh, you know, over over the last several years, um, and each year has has ended, you know, either slightly or radically different differently than I would have thought at the beginning of the year. Um, whether that's uh, whether that's uh, uh, sprouting up new products altogether, like like Periscope and Vine, whether that's taking our product in a different direction, like Moments whether that's like having a new CEO, um, there's always, you know, change is always in the air. And one of the great things about having Jack back at the company is he is the inventor of this product. And when he talks, he talks with a certain sense of purpose that you can't manufacture. Um, he, he, this is his, you know, this is, this is probably the first success, you know, wildly successful product he is, you know, he has invented. Um, and he has great instincts about, you know, what's wrong with it, what's right with it, where it needs to go. Uh, and there's just a certain calmness that he kind of brings when he's, when he's at the table in some of these product discussions that we have. Um, he's very, uh, he's very, some people say he's quiet. Um, I think he's quiet by default. He, when he's in a meeting, he doesn't feel like he needs to to, to command the room or to uh, speak for ninety nine percent of the airtime. Uh, but when he speaks, it's very well considered, and it makes you think about problems in a different way than you had been thinking about them in the past. And so, in that sense, you know, it's only been you know a few months. But, you know, I can already tell that he is, you know, an extremely uh, design-friendly CEO. Um, Dick was great as well, by the way. I mean, Dick's, you know, Dick's the guy that ultimately hired me three years ago. He was, you know, fantastic to work work with as well. But totally, totally different in how he approached, you know, running the company, running the product. Um, And so it's just interesting to see how kind of quickly... um, the flavor of meetings and the flavor of, of product development cycles and the flavor of how we think about things changes, uh, when, you know, when, when, when your leader changes. Um, so it's, you know, it's a really interesting time to be at the company. It's a really interesting time to be a designer, uh, at at Twitter as well. I, I like to tell people like we are, uh, you know, we are just one big family within, within the company. We hang out with each other on weekends. We go camping with each other. Uh, we, it's just a really, it's a, it's a really fun place to work and it's a really fun place to be a design leader, but it's also not easy. Um, if you're looking for like, you know, an easy job, something that you can just kind of sit back and, you know, come in, come in at nine and leave at five and like never have any stress about, about your life at all. It's probably, you know, not, not the place for you. You have to be willing to kind of, uh, you know, willing, willing to sort of, um, wade in, in the chaos a a little bit. Uh, and I I say chaos and I mean that in in a, in a good way. Um, I think sometimes they say companies, you know, mirror the products, or you know, what is it? The, the the company mirrors the product that it makes, or the or the product mirrors the company that makes it. And a lot of that is true. Um, a lot about Twitter, the product, is fairly unpredictable, right? You you wake up in the morning and you see things in your stream that you never thought you'd see. Um, hey, that happens at the company too sometimes, um, but it's usually good uh, and it's always exciting. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's
1: fascinating to me, to a certain extent at least, to kind of deconstruct a tweet a tweet in itself, and just analyze it as an object. You know, I I think Twitter became famous for ostensibly being just 140 characters of text, very plain and simple. But in reality, you guys have now morphed what a tweet is over time into a very rich multimedia thing containing links, pictures, video, location, uh, uh, being part of a conversation thread, and and I guess with moments now, even something that looks and feels very unlike the the traditional tweet. Do you you think this is true? Uh, How do you see, like, the tweet itself evolving
0: uh, over time or in in the future? Yeah, I think it's definitely true. I mean, I, I talked a little earlier about a tweet being a unit of expression. And you look at all the ways that you can express yourself in the world. It could be something that you say. It could be a picture that you take. It could even be a smile. There are a million ways to express yourself, and you should be able to do most of them, if not all of them, on Twitter. And what we want to do at, at, as a design team uh, and just as a company is to really, abs- to, to really remove all the abstractions we can from those kind of subunits of expression. So I'll give you an example. Uh, a few years ago, the only way to get a, a photo on Twitter was to use uh, a third-party service and insert a URL to that photo. And when you saw it in your timeline, all you saw was a URL. That's an abstraction. It's not an actual photo, it's a URL. And so if you remove that abstraction, you just replace the URL with the photo itself. The best representation of a photo is a photo. Right. The same is true for video. The same is true for links. So now instead of seeing just a, 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 you know, an a inscrutable URL at mm-hmm. the end of your tweet, we're, we're expanding those and showing you a card with a preview of the content. So we really want to remove as many abstractions as we can from the tweet and make it about what you're trying to say and what you're what you're trying to express. And you'll you've already seen us kind of stretch the boundaries of, of that somewhat with photo tagging, which doesn't take up you know, any of your character account. Um, you'll see several more things like that in the future. Uh, but certainly the goal is to is to help people around the world express themselves in, in as, as, as free of a manner as possible. Does that mean we can expect tweets to look
1: maybe less like a traditional tweet or the tweet of of ten odd years ago, or, uh,
0: and more like something something else? Well, you can definitely expect things to continue evolving. I think there's a lot to be said for context as well, right? I think you know we forget there are still people around the world who use flip phones uh, with very very limited data plans. I don't think those people even want images. Uh, in their feet for a variety of reasons. Uh, so in a, in a context where you're that constrained for bandwidth and that constrained for real estate, uh, maybe a tweet should be as compact as, as, as humanly possible, but for something much larger, like an iPad, like a iPhone six plus, like a giant Android phone, like a television screen, um, there's so much more that we can do within the canvas uh, than that we're doing than we're doing right now, and I think it, it's our job to to create a system that, that that can flex all the way from the smallest devices and the smallest screens in the world to the biggest devices. And to even environments that live outside of Twitter itself, uh, you see embedded tweets all over the place. On, you know, not not just on the web, but also in mobile applications. Now, you see tweets on billboards. You see tweets uh, on on news tickers, on on television uh, stations, on any number of things. Uh, you know, tweets are everywhere. And when you know when something happens in the world, it happens on Twitter. And we need to make sure that uh, that our system is able to gracefully kind of flex to to the environment that it's in. Mm hmm.
1: Mm hmm. Uh, I guess one of the other aspects of that is that that uh, so many of these tweets are part of a conversation uh, and and so all of the, you mentioned context like all of the context for a tweet could be uh, the conversation that it's existing in you know obviously a lot of that conversation happens among regular users uh, of the service. But customer service is another one. Uh, if you look at any you know business on Twitter, any broadband provider, any airline, they're typically businesses responding to customers' questions in real time. Uh, in some ways, that's amazing, that sense of immediacy. Um, but there is often a lot of repetitiveness to that. Uh, do you at all? Do you think about this much, and do you guys see a, a, a future, perhaps, where these responses could be automated, um, based on
0: customer intents, or uh, based on the question, or something else? Yeah, uh, you know, customer service is a very important thing to us on Twitter, and it's something that, much like a lot of things on Twitter, evolved organically. Uh, as companies began to get more comfortable with their with their Twitter presence, they began answering uh, support support inquiries uh, from from their customers. And it's really amazing to read a conversation between a person and a, and, a, and a company who are able to resolve their problem quickly and publicly, actually, uh, by virtue of Twitter. And it really turns into almost an advertisement for that company when it's done well. So somebody's having, having problems, uh, maybe they, 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 they're having problems uh, changing a flight, and they send a, they send a message to whatever airline they're flying on, and the, the, the airline gets back to them and says, hey... Um, we can help you, and then within a few a few minutes, their flight has changed. And then the customer, oftentimes, will tweet out, "Oh, this is amazing! Airline X just just was able to change my flight. Thanks so much." Um, so that's really like the holy grail of customer service, isn't it? To solve a problem, uh, to, to solve a problem one of your customers are ha- are having, and to have your have you, have that customer tell the entire world how great how great the service was. Uh, so this is something that. We need to make a lot uh, a, a lot easier for people to do on Twitter, not just people, but uh, but companies as well. Um, and it's certainly something that we're thinking about moving mm. into moving into 2016.
1: In some ways, it's a a high wire act for the oh, yeah. for the business. Yep. Because uh, if they provide poor customer service, the inverse happens, right? We've all seen those, like, oh my god, I can't, I hate this airline, have left me waiting on the tarmac or yeah. whatever. Uh, do you guys think about that as, as part of the problem, or is it just is it just creating greater incentive for the for the business
0: to to provide better customer service? I think it is providing great incentive to provide great customer service, but I also think there's a there's like kind of a delicate dance in there where some of this you kind of want to happen publicly and some of it you want to happen privately, right? Mm-hmm. And so there's a good deal there's a good deal of customer service that should probably happen over DM mm-hmm. instead of publicly without replies. Now, if you think about the process today to make that happen, it's fairly complex. So I don't follow Airline X. Airline X doesn't follow me. I tweet something out publicly to Airline X. Airline X at replies and says, hey, we'd love to help you. Um, please follow us so we can DM you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, you, you. Maybe you decide to do that. Maybe you decide not to do it. Uh, if you decide not to do it, then none of it can happen you know, privately. Uh, if you decide to do it, then you, you know, then do you keep following this airline? Do you not follow this airline? There's just, there's just a bunch of steps that you have to go through right now mm-hmm. um, that we can probably eliminate fairly gracefully. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's our job. Uh, it's our job to, to make your, to make the experience for both the user and the, the company providing support as easy and frictionless as possible. And certainly we know we've got a lot of opportunity ahead of us. Right. Nobody wants to have a conversation with their bank manager in the middle of the, uh, the
1: in the middle of the, the the lobby of the bank. Right. Right. Yeah. Right.
0: But you know, there there are other instances where, where companies take a you know great amount of pride in kind of the copywriting aspect of of their uh, you know of of their Twitter presences, where they they turn a fairly bland kind of customer service. Uh, session into something that's, you know, humorous, entertaining, something that, that somebody wants to retweet to all their mm-hmm. followers. Mm-hmm. So, um, I just, I just think if this thing done right provides all the right incentives for the right behaviors to occur. Uh, and like I said earlier, we just, we just got to make it as easy as possible.
1: Uh, well, as one of the many, many people who has loved the product that you make for, for many years now, uh, it's exciting to, to get to see the passion that's clearly behind it. Um, I guess, on our, all of our behalf. Thank you very much for putting so much of yourselves into it. Uh, and it's probably as good a time as any to, to call it a day. So, Mike
0: Davidson, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, Emmett. I really enjoy uh, everything that you guys do at Intercom as well. I'm really honored to be here. It's great to see the offices. and. I love, love, love your product writing. I told John that uh, a few minutes ago. But you know, I've, I, I, every time Intercom writes a, a, new, a new article about a product that it's that it's developed or is is, into, is, is currently developing, it's always eye opening, um, interesting, entertaining. And I look forward to every new every new thing that you guys release. That's very kind, Mike. Thank you very much. Thank you. You've been listening to the Inside Intercom podcast. For more episodes just visit soundcloud.com forward slash intercom and if you want to subscribe search for inside intercom in itunes or stitcher and for even more great content check out blog.intercom.io